Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Marvel Cinematic University, the show where we talk about everything in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you know we are doing an episode this week because a movie just came out in the MCU. But before we get all to that, let's introduce the panel. I am Jay Christie, taking hosting duties from my good friend Anthony Canton III, who's a little under the weather. AC, other than that, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Let's just let's just call this maybe perhaps my flu game. This could be my flu game tonight. Go out <laughs> yeah, on a high note. Exactly. <laughs> and you know we couldn't, because we're going into the quantum realm here, and we couldn't do it alone. It's all about the people you surround yourself with. So we got two returning guests, two guests who, according to my calculations, are both entering the 10-timers club with these appearances. We got right. Anthony Mays, a.k.a. Corn Puzzle of Cinephobe and other things. Anthony, how you doing? Doing good, man. Ant Mays of Quantumania, Quantumasia, maybe? Mm-hmm. That's me. Wonderful. And you know him. He's does stuff with Metal Arc Media, ESPN, best-selling author, Howard Bryant. Howard, thank you for coming on the show. Always good to be here. It's been a while. Um, does this mean that AC is, if this is this flu, you guarantee in like a 45 spot tonight? Are you just coming that, are you coming that hard tonight? Uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts about this movie, and I, I saw it this morning, so... I'm ready. AM morning go. show? Were you the only person there? Uh, there was like 10 of us in the theater. So, yeah, pretty. there wasn't a lot of people. <laughs> yes. So, just quickly, uh, you know, we always like to rattle off where we saw these things, what our experiences were like. Uh, AC, you just said you saw Monday morning, like 10 people. Um, Howard, where were you? How did you get to see it? And what was the vibe like in the theater? Um, I saw this one on Friday, opening night. Uh, however, I saw it at the 525 show mm. at uh, Am at uh, sorry at the Hampshire Cinemark out in Western Massachusetts. There was a robust 19 brave souls of us. Uh, there were 19 of us. There was a fire drill right as the previews were taking place, so we got <laughs> kicked out for another 40 minutes, and then 19 of us came back. Uh, it was one of the more disappointing opening, probably the most disappointing opening night, even worse, even worse than uh, than Black Widow, because at least we knew Black Widow was pandemic based. You know, people just weren't coming out. This was how on earth is this industry going to survive if an opening night show, you know, can't even put a football team out there? Now, I will note, the movie did make over $100 million domestically, and so it's actually not that... It wasn't actually a disaster box office-wise. I think what happened was... I think they did too many showings. I think that if you looked at the schedule, there were showings like every 20 minutes. Yeah. And so, like, the per-screen average wasn't that good. But overall, yeah. it made a good amount of money, and it made, I think, what Marvel was looking for. But I agree uh, you with you. $100 million, you don't need my sympathy or concern. Exactly. Yeah, I think that the reason why it was like 19 people is because there probably was like a 5.40 show and a 6 o'clock show and a 6.40 mm-hmm. show. But anyway, Anthony Mays, where did you see it? What was the vibe like? went to the Alamo Draft House at the 2.30 show because I was trying to avoid the robust 19-person crowd at the 5.30 show. <laughs> and it was a solid turnout. I mean, it was the biggest theater in the Draft House, so it wasn't full by any means, but it was cool. And a bunch of nerds who... Really, the biggest cheer was in the credit post-credit scene. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. mine was similar in that regard. But I, I went on Thursday night. I went to the seven o'clock showing at the IMAX at Lincoln Center, the six hundred person theater, 
which is if I can if there's I basically want to see every movie there if I can uh because um you know I love the giganticness of it it was basically full as you might imagine it was seven o'clock there was a guy in a full can cosplay there uh, it was just funny to see him waiting online for the coke freestyle machine um <laughs> the vibes were good and yeah like I said, the thing is any movie I see there I know like I'm gonna rate it like 0.5 better than any other because it just such a gigantic screen and in you know but the funny thing too is that in the first 20 minutes they forgot to turn off the big signs that say IMAX and big lights so there's a gigantic glare on the screen for the first 20 minutes of the movie which was annoying but other than that it was a good theater experience now talk about the theater experience got it up but I feel like there's been a lot of discourse about this film Ant-Man and the mm-hmm. Wasp Quantumania um, and Aside from what people have been saying, aside from the takes, AC, I want to let you start because you just saw it. How did you feel about this movie? Yeah, I got to be honest. Like, I feel about as mixed on a, and on a Marvel movie in a long time. Like, usually, like, something with the Eternals. Like, I knew that it was, like, not very good in my opinion, and it didn't hit the nerve and there's some movies that you kind of know this movie i wouldn't necessarily necessarily say i was disappointed i think the one thing i will say is that they made an error in trying to take the ant-man character and mix it up with the kang character here especially with the way that they wrote the movie specifically Mm -hmm. i feel because i think that in in a lot of ways it was very messy the plot in a lot of ways was just very paper thin. If you really want to like analyze it uh, tooth and comb. That being said, I think the Jonathan Majors portion is easily the best part of the movie. And you can, we can go on. I'm sure we will at some point. I think there are certain character things that always take a step back when you put a character like Kang in here. And I think the thing that people loved about the first two Ant-Man movies, even though they're not exactly what you would go and write write home about to somebody and be like, yes, this was this was amazing and stuff like that. There's the family element and there is the emotional element to the characters that is very cool. And then you could talk about the gang like Luis and and the rest of the crew. They're nowhere to be found here. I think that in itself was a mistake. I think you could have easily put Luis in the quantum realm and had a lot of fun with yeah. it uh, on its own. And to me, like there are good, there are good parts in this movie. Some things that I liked. I I I thought Modok. People are mixed on Modok. I thought it was funny, but I think overall <laughs> they tried to take a swing, and and honestly, I feel like they missed. And mm-hmm. if it were up to me, I would have made. Kang's like official debut, a solo film, and you could easily do something like that and get a lot more traction with the story that was already built at the end of Loki, and then transition to what we're gonna get Kang Dynasty and uh, whatsoever, and then just like certain character choices. And then I didn't like, I did, I wasn't a fan of Cassie's character in this one. It just that didn't hit for me either. So there's a lot of like stuff that missed for me in this film. Uh, Anthony Mays, what were your general thoughts? I'm gonna I'm gonna let AC's drive by a Modoc slide. I want some dedicated time to talk about Modoc later in this Don't podcast. Don't worry, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was 
sometime after Endgame 2019, early 2020, that we were talking about how the calendar was laid out whenever it was announced, mm-hmm. and we had Multiverse of Madness circled, and we had this movie circled. And then once the Kang stuff developed and we learned more about that by the time, you know, by the end of Loki, these were big movies in my head and in that situation i'm under impressed this is not it didn't deliver in that respect i think both of those movies are fine but they're a lot smaller than i thought they were going to be and that's a weird thing to say because we're talking about the multiverse and we're talking about the limitless abilities of the quantum realm but for the most part they're self-contained stories Mm -hmm. you get in you get out and for all the limitless possibilities of it, it shows a pretty linear path. And I get why you do that, because otherwise it would be too complex. But as the way to introduce us to Kang, he's great. More mm-hmm. of him, please, all the time, all the different versions, all that. Kang will return. Mm-hmm. Not Ant-Man will return. Kang will return. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of a miss, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Howard. I hated it. Mm. I, I I just have to come out and say, I hated it, and I hated it for um for the reasons that you guys are are, are both you know Anthony and AC that you're mentioning. I mean, I think that for me the the number one boil it down answer to the question is, I don't care about you, Cassie. I don't care about you. I but have the no interest. I have no interest in you. None. This entire movie, to Anthony's point, there are certain things that you circle on the calendar. I circle Lakers Celtics. You circle Cowboys 49ers. You had this circled. This was supposed to be the rebirth post Endgame. Mm-hmm. And you're going to tell me that this entire movie is going to be about the family Pym and the family Lang. And I'll tell you, I'm watching this and the disappointment, even, even my kid, you know, he's eight, he's 18 now, but still, you know, mm-hmm. they were looking at it. His friends were looking at each other like, what is this? You know, and especially because, and we can get into the, 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 the all the different reasons why it didn't mm-hmm. quite work. But to me, the, the problem was, <clears throat> was that the cannon was pointed in the wrong direction. That this is supposed to be the ratcheting up of the new threat. And by the end of this movie, one, Kang is a punching bag. It's like, how did he become so easily defeatable? Yeah, we'll thing, get into that soon enough. We'll get into yeah. that later. But the other piece mm-hmm. of this, the, the, the real jumping off point here, was this movie to me was supposed to be the introduction of the new, of the post-Endgame world. Mm-hmm. And instead, what we got really was a one-off about Scott Lang and his family and his transition and the time that he lost. Even the trailers, even the trailers were sort of setting up Kang yeah. as forcing Scott Lang into making this deal with mm-hmm. the devil. And that really raised the profile of Kang as this really dangerous figure. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. It just missed. And I'll tell you one other quick thing that I was really, that really bothered me. It was the fact that this was one of the movies where 
what we know about what's really happening in the in the real world with Disney and Marvel and the MCU mm-hmm. and the storytelling, you could really see it on screen. Mm-hmm. And and for the first time, I'm watching a Marvel movie under the Disney banner, and it looked like Star Wars. Yes. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is very strange. I'm like, okay, so we've got the dystopian, you know, totalitarian state under the Empire, which is Kang. We've got the plucky little rebellion with all the cute little characters. The only thing that was missing was R2-D2 and BB-8, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and you've got this, you know, this sort of plucky rebellion that is uh, that is fighting. And they're fighting under this banner of this person, Cassie Lang, that they don't even know. Mm-hmm. And so the combination of all of this completely undermined what you thought you were going to get going into this, yeah. the, the bigness that you thought you were going to get. And by the time it was done, I just was like, I have my theories as to why this was a miss, but I am convinced it was a miss. Yeah, I think that I wasn't as negative on it as I would actually say, I would guess that I probably was the most positive on it on the call, but I still thought it was a pretty big miss. I mostly I liked a lot of the individual elements of it. And I felt like a, a criticism I saw of it, which I think is both a criticism and true, is that someone said it was like they tried to make a movie that was all just the Star Wars cantina scene. And I think that that is both a thing that I liked about it in some points, but it also was like, okay, where is the actual plot of this movie? Like, we get it. Mm-hmm. You're trying to be weird and make everything cool and interesting. Um, and I think you, you guys are absolutely right, I think, about the way that it was balanced. And I think I, I, think I almost have the opposite take of you guys in what they should have done instead, in that what I, I think I I think we kind of miss is that Thanos didn't really have any major screen time until Avengers Infinity War. You know, like which came out, which was his first big movie that he was in. And I'm not saying that they can't seed Kang into all these different things beforehand, but I think part of the reason why this movie was what it was was because we're still a few years out from Kang Dynasty. And so if Kang is going to have a big movie where he makes a big impact... That can't happen too far before Kang Dynasty. And so I think they kind of were in a rock and a hard place where they want to introduce this character Kang, but Kang can't invade Earth. He can't fight all the Avengers because that's what's supposed to happen in these later movies. And so I think that they kind of, they want to have their cake and eat it too, where they want to have a movie where Kang was introduced and he was the bad guy, but they also wanted it to be a self-contained story so they didn't, so they could have freedom to do other stuff in the movies coming up, right? Because the next couple of movies aren't necessarily all about Kang. And so I think that they wanted to make Kang like a villain, but not as dangerous as he normally is, but then that kind of undercuts how dangerous Kang is supposed to be, and it leaves you with a movie that doesn't make you feel satisfied about Kang. And I think that your criticism about Cassie are generally correct. I think that they just didn't... I think they didn't do nearly enough of a job of reestablishing that relationship, because even though it is the same character, no matter what the script says, if you recast an actor, you need to recalibrate everything. You we can't. I'm not thinking of the times that Scott had with the little girl when I see him and Catherine Newton on screen. Because even though her name is Cassie, mentally that's a different character. And I didn't feel that father-daughter bond the yeah. way that I think the movie needs you to. In order for you really to care, like you really need to be like, this is the same girl that he was playing those games with. And that just never registered for me um, the entire time. But... Uh, I do think that we should talk a little bit about, before we get to all the Kang thoughts, I do think we should talk about the characters in the Lang family, the Pym family, how they were served. Um, I want to start off with uh, Scott, obviously, you know, the main character. Um, I thought 
obviously it was a weird choice to have him going up go up against Kang. That was a thing that we, everyone was saying before the movie came out. Um, and I don't know. I feel kind of. I don't have necessarily a huge problem with the way he was portrayed in this movie, just because Paul Rudd kind of is an effortless actor. But AC, I want to hear what you think about this. That I felt like it was kind of frustrating that the thing he was overcoming in the movie was something that was introduced in the beginning of the movie. Like, his whole thing was Cassie wanting him to keep helping, but that wasn't, like, a character trait that he had beforehand. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't like a... It didn't feel like... I, I just don't like when we have a third installment of a, of a series, and the obstacle is completely something invented for the third installment. Yeah, I think the idea that you have Scott be to a degree selfish with the book stuff and and everything else with the stardom to a degree uh, i will say shout out to the jimmy woo lunch that was a nice uh callback from ant-man and the wasp but yeah i think just overall like the way that they set up that story with with scott for the most part honestly like the way that he acted in that first in that first act to two to a degree did not really feel like how the character yeah. has been to this point. And remember, it's not just the, the two Ant-Man movies is in Civil War and uh, Endgame. So you have you have a lot of history with Scott. So it did feel like a weird character choice, to your point, to have him like that. So I was thrown a little bit off by him. And that's kind of where, overall, it feels like in a lot of instances, and I feel like, maybe Janet was the well, Janet and Hank I, I like more but we'll get into them in a little bit but Scott but Scott like it didn't feel like it made complete sense and then even at the end where he kind of goes like oh everything's all right but is it mm -hmm. all right and stuff like that I don't know like a lot of like just like everything else it just doesn't feel it didn't feel right it didn't feel like it made sense yeah Howard Anthony anything you'd like to add on the Scott Lang front that I'm gonna take that silence as a no. <laughs> um, no I thought it was weird you called him the main character polite. of the movie. The floor to Anthony. Yeah, no, oh, I'm sorry. That. I was hoping that I was hoping one of you guys would jump in. That's why <laughs> Anthony, AC is usually the host. Uh, Howard, what do you have to say about Scott Lang? Um, I I thought that the the character, the Scott Lang character, is a very specific character mm -hmm. in that he's sort of this superhero who's not really a superhero mm -hmm. and that, and even the celebrity piece of it threw me a little bit because remember in Endgame, the kids didn't even want his autograph. Yeah. You know? And so he's sort of that quirky, you know, kind of Avenger. But I, I also, I, you know, I thought that, I thought that the way that they had portrayed him, Paul Rudd's supposed to be funny, and you're absolutely right. He is an effortless actor. He's supposed to be the comic relief, and so having him go up against Kang, you were wondering how that mismatch yeah. was actually going to take place. But I thought that with him, the thing that I'm looking for in terms of character development now is how you are going to reintegrate all of these endgame characters into the new world that they're in. Yeah. Like, how do they, you know, how do they survive? And I didn't, I didn't think it was a bad touch that he has a little bit of Tony Stark in him. And he's like, okay, I'm just going to take care of my family yeah. and do my thing. That, that part was, that part was okay. But I agree with AC in that to do that while removing him from the universe that we remember him about with yeah. his, his crew and his group from, mm -hmm. you know, from one and two really made it very, very disjointed. 
Yeah. And yeah, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to say before, because I want to go to uh, Anthony and then we'll move on to other characters. Another thing I think really hurt him in his relationship with Cassidy, because I think everyone's making a big deal about not having his crew, which is huge. But I think the fact that they didn't have um, his ex-wife and her husband, you know, Judy Green and Bobby Cannavale, really, I think, degrounded the relationship with the daughter because that was completely in that context. And like... We didn't get to see how that dynamic is going because we're keep talking about how she's the most important person to him, et cetera, et cetera. But like, we're not seeing the rest of her life. Her life is, you know, we don't see the rest of her family. And so I feel like, yeah, even though the movie was, I'm glad it was two hours and five minutes. I could have done with ten minutes more up top in the regular world. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Maze. I mean, I think that's exactly it. Like they they tried to have their cake and eat it too, and give you the audio book and the. Mm-hmm memoirs and the whole the the guy from i think you should leave with the coffee shop and mm-hmm. uh, the baskin robin situation and it's like that's not it that's not enough to give us a real ant-man movie mm-hmm. but then also they felt like they needed it to like soften the blow to just dive into the quantum realm stuff it felt like a unhealthy imbalance and Paul Rudd, yeah, he was funny. Great yeah. line delivery. They had some, you know, good recurring bits and like the what is it? The realm of infinite possibility or whatever, where we see all the different versions yeah. of him. That was clever because Paul Rudd, but yeah. It, it's not like they let us know that much about Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and, thing, and yeah. also, if I was gonna throw one other thing in there, and also the Baskin Robbins bit and the rest of that stuff didn't really work for me because all of that stuff happened pre infinity war, pre end game. So you already have to have a different view of him because yeah. he did say, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's obviously yeah. already very, very, yeah. that relationship is already very different. Um, I think that the other thing for me, and I don't know if you want to go in this direction or not, but I'm just going to throw it out there mm-hmm. is the the biggest problem that I that I had with this movie is a storytelling issue. It's that, you know, one of the things that we always talk about, we talked about it on the other shows, is anything that comes before winning is losing. Mm-hmm. If you're not trying to make the best movie possible, you're already lost. Mm-hmm. And so the horning of Cassie as the main figure mm-hmm. is you know, it is still part of this decade old response to almost decade old response to to Me Too and to representation and the rest of it. And I think that you just have to tell different stories if that's where you're going to go. It just felt it felt very um, it felt very old to me. I'm like, OK, this is this is Jennifer Lawrence in The Hunger Games plus Daisy Ridley mm-hmm. plus, you know, you know, plus every, you know, plus. Hallie Stanfield in, in, yeah. in, you know, Hawkeye. And it's like, okay, I understand if this is the direction that you want to, that you want to go in. But if this is the direction you want to go in, you have to tell a better story. It just felt so by the numbers. I was like, okay, let me guess. Okay. We've got young girl trying to establish herself tension with parents mm-hmm. then has to go out. You know what I mean? And it was like, it, it yeah. was like, okay, all of this is taking place. But it's just not strong enough when the expectation is Jonathan Majors. And I think I'll move on to Cassie now. This is not the order I was going to go in, but I think it's the natural way to go. 
there's two big problems I have with her as a character, even though I find Catherine very charming and I thought that some of the comedy was good. But there's two things. What you just said to Howard, basically, she is completely undistinct as a character in terms of what is she, what what is her deal? And and what what is her motivating feature? Like, you talk about Haley Steinfeld in Hawkeye, which I think also sometimes is a bit generic. But the through line with that character, which I think you feel in almost every scene, is her doing this to try to kind of atone and to make an identity for herself outside of her money, right? Like, yes. that is a thing you feel. Whereas this, she's not quite trying to get outside of the identity of her dad. She's not, she has, seems to have, like, a very social justice streak, which, fine, she's an, you know, 17, 18-year-old girl, that's pretty normal. But, like, there's nothing beyond that. Like, if you ask someone what is a characteristic about yeah. Cassie Lang, there wouldn't really be much. And I think a lot of that, and this is a thing I called out before the movie, and I think genuinely is a problem that these movies a lot of times have, is that a lot of the dynamics between those characters didn't work for me because the dynamics that were out be- written were what a parent feels about a their 17-year-old daughter. And Catherine Newton is not 17 years old. She looks 25, she is 25. And it just did not feel... I felt completely... It just didn't feel natural to me, any of the, the moments where she was interacting with Scott. Because it's like, she is a grown woman and she's playing this like she's 16 and it feels that way and it feels fake and i just wish that they didn't keep doing this because it it just and there's more to my pet peeves but i always feel it where it's like no this you you're too self-possessed you're too composed to be 18 years old like you're definitely he didn't care about you he didn't care yeah and so ac how did you feel about that dynamic uh i like i said i i just the character generally just didn't land for me at all, considering everything that we, again that we've seen before, and it just—I mean, I could even say that the chemistry, to a degree, is mm-hmm. what it, it, that is. Really, if you're thinking about what this movie should be, especially if you're trying to do the whole family thing, is it should be something stronger between her and Scott. And mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times she said "dad" in that movie. Like you count. You could count that like 10, 11, 12, 13, just screaming dad. Just like little stuff like that. It just felt very robotic. My dad taught best. me that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, yeah. And, that's the, and that's the thing. Like, And so I, when you talk about shoehorning, so yes, we know Cassie is a is stature, another young Avenger, and this is where you have you've had these kid characters show up in all of these shows and movies and stuff like that. And they continue to build off of that. And this is kind of where, when your movie does not work, it sticks out like a sore thumb even more than it would if it was something good. Cause there's other times that they've been shoehorned and other things before, and you don't really pay attention to it because you know, the work is good. Hawkeye works because for the most part you get, you add Florence Pugh, you get that little back and forth between them. That's just chemistry sizzles off the screen and you get a good story, throw Kingpin in there. You can have a lot of fun with it. This, eh, not so much. Well, and the other problem that you have with that is that, look, one of the biggest problems that you have that you've always had since the beginning of superhero movies, when it, whether you go back to, you know, to Superman back in 78, we all know the villain is going to have more fun because they get to you know, produce yeah. more mayhem. But you've 
got to be able to balance. If you if you are the main characters and you're getting blown off the screen and you're not holding your own at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Glad you said that. Yeah. You're going to have major problems with the movie. And the problem with Ant-Man is that Ant-Man as a character is not at the same level as the other Avengers. No. And then, and then, of course, neither is you know the Wasp, and neither is you know Janet, and neither is so. There was nothing there that was going to balance Kang. Mm -hmm. We're here to see Kang. He's the best actor. Yeah. Nobody else is carrying this thing, and yet you didn't do justice to Kang either. So, to your point, Jake, at the beginning of this, is that you sort of were trying to have your cake and eat it too. And to your point. What I think is really problematic here is if you're trying to bring Kang in slowly, mm -hmm. you cannot do what you did at the end of Loki. At the end of Loki, yeah. that's all we wanted to see is yeah. this guy. You yep. can't bring him along slowly anymore because yeah. we're all waiting to see him. Yeah, and I almost wonder, and Maze, I'll go to you in a sec, it, just off of what Howard said, I almost wonder if, and they never would have done this because I think it would have just been like too devastating, but if the whole movie was about, if it was, if, it ended with Scott and company getting completely destroyed and there was no, and like, it was very clear that the movie thought that Scott, that Ant-Man was nowhere on the near level of Kang. I think that would have been better, but like it kind of, it, I was it expecting did, actually. Yeah. And they did kind mm -hmm. of, that was like whispered at, but eventually became pretty clear that even before I knew how it was going to end, it became pretty clear that it wasn't going to be a route. And if like, if it's not going to be a route, then you are either lowering the level of Kang or raising Ant-Man and no, 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 Jake, yeah. come on. Thousands of years of ant technology, Correct. my friend. I'm not saying obviously he can't yeah. keep up with that. Of course. Oh. Yes. Oh, oh my God. The most egregious part of the movie for me. Am I am. No, I, I can't remember who said it, uh, who said it on Twitter today. Somebody said the Hank Pym walking with uh, the with the heart rate of less than 85 and some ants beat Kang. It's just like, yo, come on, man. I think I think the other thing that I will say about the whole Kang stuff. And so there was a different ending for this movie. Uh, the original ending was supposed to be Kang escapes and Scott and Hope get trapped. And I think now the only reason, the only thing that I could surmise as to why they would change the ending is that maybe they didn't want to be repetitive like when Scott got stuck in the quantum realm after Ant-Man and the Wasp and they didn't want to do that again. But it's due to some storyline changes that we can talk about later when we get into the thick of the Kang stuff, it seems like they probably thought that this would be better, but I can tell you that it was not. It was yeah. not the way that I would have gone. It's not the way that when you bring a type of villain like this, it, you can't get nerfed by ants. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just that it's not, it's not like something that you want to see. And then the wasp too. So that's just. Yeah, I, I think there's a third option. Because I think that the thing <clears throat> you throw out of why they didn't do it, where they didn't repeat the beat, I think that that actually is correct. I think that if yeah. we spend and another fair, couple years yeah. being like, oh no, Amon's trapped in the quantum realm again, I think that that's not good either. But there is another option. The two options aren't Kang loses and Scott gets stuck in the quantum realm. And I wish they would have, they I wish they would have had something else happen. Um, 
He could uh, just beat his ass. That's all. Yeah. Like it, it, he. That's the thing. So people. Uh. So people will say like, Yo, Ant Man should get killed. He doesn't have to get killed. Just have him soundly defeated. That's what yeah. happens in all these comic books. Sometimes the villain just handles the hero in an instance, mm-hmm. and then that's you. You need the team, or you get set up for the comeback later. That's how all these stories work. But I always joke that comic book movies, and you and I, you and I talked about this, Jake, when we were talking about Black Adam. Is how when The Rock tried to book a superhero movie like a like a wrestling uh, match, mm-hmm. and there's this kind of like even booking where the hero has to get one over, no matter if the villain is like way stronger mm-hmm. and stuff like that in a movie. Yeah, and here you didn't need to do that, and you didn't have to do that, yet they did it anyway, which mm-hmm. kind of tells me the state of where things are in terms of storytelling because just again if you want to try and establish the threat yes he who remains established it verbally but this should have been a vehicle to establish it physically physically we need to see it and the mcu to its discredit has had a history now of doing weird stuff like i'll give you an example of the moon knight thing with jake lockley we 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 don't see him beat up anybody. We just see the after effects. Sometimes you need to see the visuals. The visuals yeah. are just as important as the words. More than anything, I think the reason they changed the ending is because there is a fear in Hollywood uh, executive suites. Uh, the people above Kevin Feige hate the idea of unhappy endings. And I think they're like, we let you get away with Infinity War, and that's the last time I'll let you do that. Honestly, I think that's the vibe. <laughs> that's and And I think that... I, I think they are underestimating how interested people are in the MCU because I think w- with another movie franchise, yes, maybe if a movie had a sad ending, people wouldn't want to see it again in theaters. But with the MCU, I think people are so interested no matter what. Um, but moving on to the other characters, uh, we keep sprinkling in Kang stuff, so I don't know if we need a full Kang section after this. But um, someone, uh, you know, people have been joking a lot about how Hope Van Dyne had basically no lines in this movie. Oh, and sure. my two thoughts on that are... That is true, and th- I'm happy about it. <laughs> I'm, I don't care. Uh, what about you guys? Uh, Maze, you wanna you wanna have anything on that? Yeah, I mean, she was there. That she was, was there. The big takeaway from mm-hmm. this movie is Ant Man and the Wasp, so yes. she had to be there, contractually obligated. Mm-hmm. She got to be the third wheel mm-hmm. to a pretty electric Michelle Pfeiffer, Michael Douglas combination, mm-hmm. who are still bringing it. Yeah, you know, Michael yep. Douglas is eighty, and he's still very there was pros. charming in this movie. Yes. But I, I remember I said on the preview pod, and AC will remember this, that I was really worried mm. that the seem it seemed like a lot of plot was going to hinge on Michelle Pfeiffer, and I was worried that she would kind of sleepwalk through it because she thought it was beneath her. And honestly, for the most part, she didn't, and I'm very glad about that because you when you have actors who are like really established understandably sometimes they think this material is beneath them and frankly a lot of her material was beneath her she's a great actress and this a lot of this is stupid and so i did appreciate that she kind of brought it um but howard why, how do you feel yeah go. why didn't she bang kang well i think they this did. was oh this, this has was, been this was, you want yeah. to talk about a thing that's been going on maze i've been saying this since we first saw the previews and i think it did happen i mean it just just because we didn't see it doesn't mean it didn't happen i mean she said okay. she had needs you know it, yeah, and she went to Bill Murray, not Jonathan Majors, who was right there. I think I, she you was know, there for 30 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. Sitting in the beach. It's a long okay. time. 
Okay, man. I hope so. It was so obvious that Kang had conquered. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is, honestly, good. They're two good looking people trapped in a realm together. Why not? Um, but yeah, I, I thought that the whole, that whole dynamic, once again, I, I think that jokes aside about Evangeline Lilly and her, uh, beliefs vis-a-vis the Pfizer vaccine, I don't think that that character is that interesting. And while in a perfect world, they would have given her more to do that would be interesting. I'd rather her not do that much if they don't have anything interesting for her to do. You know what I mean? Like, I actually just, what a, it's, I'm not going to lose I any I mean, we saw it. what happened with Cassie and Scott. They didn't have a compelling arc, so... Trying to yeah. come up with an arc for hope wouldn't yeah. fit either. Right. Well, and what did they and what did they try to do with that? They tried to say, okay, mom, what are you not telling me? Talk to me, mom. I'm like, there's other stuff happening yeah. here. I don't care no, about But you seriously either. though, talk to me, mom. Maybe a little <laughs> heads up exactly. would have been helpful yeah. at some point. At some point, mom. Yeah, I uh, feel like there's mommy talk. Yeah, I feel right. like if if you're gonna focus on that, it should less be about like being mad that you weren't honest and more like we're mm-hmm. gonna get killed because you weren't honest. We're, like yeah, we're was, dead. Yeah. And and you know what the the, the 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 most authentic thing in the whole movie about that relationship was that mom still didn't give it up. Still didn't tell no. you. Yep. Yeah. Right? Mom yep. still you know, like, okay, you'll just have to experience this on your own, kid. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I mean and, and that's what I mean about the underwhelming nature mm-hmm. of the characters. And I think that's one of the things one of the things that we've been talking about is uh you know, as a 10 timer on this show, one of exactly. the themes, one of the themes that we have always talked about is how lucky and, you know, better to be lucky than good the MCU has been mm-hmm. in that you got star performances out of people you didn't think were going to be stars at the beginning yes. of this. You had mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. and everybody else. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Chris Evans was a star. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Chris Hemsworth was a star. Mm-hmm. And now you've got three tent poles, mm-hmm. even though Chris Hemsworth is a phenomenal, Thor is a phenomenal character who's only really had one great movie. Mm-hmm. But as an Avenger, you know, I mean, you could still make the argument, and a lot of people do, that his turn in Endgame, I'm sorry, in uh, Infinity War, when he showed up, is, is still one of the greatest scenes yes. in the yeah. in all 25 movies, however many movies mm-hmm. there's been now. And But in this, nobody was really strong enough yeah. to carry this thing. And, and specifically in the hope front, when you talk about luck, I think that one of their few casting misfires is Evangeline Lilly as hope i think that she kind of is just a nothing burger beyond her once again beliefs about canadian politics i think that she is just i think that they're just the paul rudd is such a natural actor and is so charismatic the fact that there really isn't crackling chemistry between him and his love interest i have to put solely at her feet because i've seen paul rudd have chemistry with like a potato you know what i mean like it's not yeah it's not um and yeah, so I think that you're right that they just didn't have it in that regard. Um, but moving on, we talked a little bit about Janet. Um, Janet and Hank. Um, I'm glad that they're given, that, that they were both seem to be in it. Um, I thought that the dynamic in the scene with Bill Murray was funny. Um, yes. It was a fun idea. I like the idea of Bill Murray just being in one scene. And I'm glad that he was 
clearly dispatched with, so there aren't going to be theories like, is this character coming back? Because I don't want to have to keep saying over and over again that Bill Murray is not going to be in another MCU movie. Clearly, he <laughs> just did it because he thought it would be fun. Um, but yeah, I-, I thought that they were... I thought that Janet was definitely, I think, the sh- the, the non-Kang character I thought was strongest. I think she had the most to do because of her whole arc, but I thought that that actually was played with a lot of genuine feeling, and that it the thing I was worried about was that the 30 years of it all will be lost in it. That they would just pretend like, oh, mom's back, it's all great. But it's like, mom's back, she missed most of her life. Like, she's been gone for lo- for like 50, 80% of uh, Hope's life. And so I thought that they played that with real feeling. Um, any thoughts on that, um, AC, about the Janet dynamic? Well, I think the her reaction to when she's putting Kang's ship together and syncs up with the mind was a great reaction because then she realized this entire time and it's just a a sheer look of horror so you almost kind of get why she doesn't want to say anything about something like that because you know it's one of those things that changes the entire uh the entire letting this person be able to get out and ruin basically all of time or all of the multiverse and stuff like that uh you know, dealing with that person. He was worse than Joe Morton in Terminator 2. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Shout, hey, shout it is your fault, brother. He, but he did the right thing. He did the right thing. So Cyberdyne Systems was destroyed. So let's not be too hard on him. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, man, uh, she was good. I She was good. And it was, it, it was an enjoyable performance. When Jake and I had talked about it on the preview show, Jake was unsure, but I thought I thought that she would bring it, and she did. Oh, so, yeah. so yeah. I, I'm glad that she did, and at least you know wasn't a complete loss in in all fronts. Because again, the Janet Kang stuff is really good. Like the the, the interplay between them that I enjoyed, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously you put two good actors and one on the level of majors, yeah. and uh, you know it's just going to be tremendous yeah. stuff. Um, Howard, any thoughts? Yeah, a couple of a couple of thoughts. Uh, number one, could not agree more. If we're going to ac- accentuate the positive, as we should in these trying times, um, <laughs> they those scenes were the best scenes in the movie. I agree with with Anthony as well that the best scenes in the movie were actually the post credits. But for what we saw, right, those scenes with Kang and I and I and I do think as well that if you're going to be so formulaic and you're going to suggest that the audiences can't handle unhappy ending, mm-hmm. I think I think everybody was expecting Ant-Man and the whole family to get their asses totally kicked. Mm-hmm. I think they were expecting it because in the trailer, you have Kang yeah. look at them and say, you're out of your league, Ant-Man, mm-hmm. and you're just waiting to see just what exactly that means and to what extent, right? Yeah. So to the Janet character, what I actually really liked about her was that she's culpable she's responsible um and i thought that's actually where the movie lost me because Mm -hmm. i thought that from a a a writing standpoint everything was forgiven so easily Mm yeah i thought that you had a really good strong dangerous movie there that you are responsible for this And that there would have been some great acting opportunities for Michelle Pfeiffer because she she's holding the most dreaded secret. Mm-hmm. I am partly responsible for this. And this rebellion is should try to kill me for it. Yeah. And instead, yeah. the entire rebellion 
not only backs her, but backs her daughter as well. So I thought there was a real miss there to to build this character um, and to really give her a lot of weight because she was the best non-Kang character in the movie. And the, the, the thing that she was holding was actually full-length feature worthy. Yeah. You know, this thing you were holding is responsible for pretty much all we're going to get for the next five or six mm-hmm. years. Yeah. And yeah. and to just turn that into bygones being bygones, and now we're just going to have a, you know, a, a, you know, a sort of one-off adventure where at the end of the day we all zip through the portal and everything's mm-hmm. cool. I just thought it was a, a gigantic whiff. Yeah. Um, Maze, any thoughts on uh, Janet or Hank? Because that's where I'm going next. Yeah, this just went off of what Howard said. The self that's the, what I mean about the self-contained nature of it. It's like, yeah. We go in and we walk out, and at the end of the day, not really a whole lot happened in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. I I think it's easy to say that Janet was the second best person in the movie because she was the one who yep. got the most one-on-one time with Jonathan Majors besides right. yep. Paul Rudd. So obviously, if you're going to have someone to play off of the, the compelling character, it's going to be her. Michael and Douglas. Paul Rudd didn't, and, and Paul Rudd mazes his... His relationship with Kang was totally superficial. They didn't learn yeah. anything about each other. The most important thing in the whole damn movie was the fact that Kang thought he was Thor, which tells you that he's already fought the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Right. And he needed him to do a heist, mm-hmm. apparently. Yeah. I need you to get small because I have all the technology in the world, but I can't get small. But I can't get small, even though my technology <laughs> is eight centuries more advanced than yours mm-hmm. hank hank was fun michael douglas looked spry he put yes. his hands into the very gelatinous steering <laughs> system and had to drive the spaceship the whole time he's yammering on about ants and then gets to walk in like a badass with the ants sweeping over kang's fortress and all that yeah man they did their job i don't have any objection to the pims or the Pim and Van Dyne yes. classic combo. Yeah, shout out to Hank. Uh, yeah. Shout out, big big shout out to Hank for his his uh, performance in this movie. He looked like he was having a lot of fun, and it, it just like it was interesting to hear him on the the red carpet say like I'll come back for another Ant Man movie if they kill me off. Because okay, that raises my big thing. He. I'm someone who I never think that a main character needs to die in order to show their stakes because, as I've said a million times before, if someone, the main character needs to die in order to show their stakes, there weren't stakes to begin with. You're just doing something manipulative. But I think with what Howard's talking about, with Janet being at the center of all of this, the easy thing to do, I think, would be to have Janet sacrifice herself to make up for it, right? That's easy. Yeah, yeah. What I would wanted to see and what I was expecting was that what if Hank has to sacrifice himself and she loses her husband, because it's something she did. And that's, like, a thing that we... That, one, it shows that Kang is, you know, not meant to be trifled with because a main character dies. Yeah. Well, a major character dies. And it also kind of shows the consequences of what Janet did directly. I thought that that was kind of... Uh, if you point. don't if you don't want to kill a major major character, which I completely understand. I think that it is... I think that should not be taken lightly, and I get why you want to keep uh, Paul Rudd alive in the MCU. That makes complete sense. But it kind of felt like... Hank Pym is, like, just sitting there to get killed off. He doesn't really have much more of a story arc. He doesn't have... Michael Douglas is 80 years old. Like, it... I I was honestly just surprised he didn't die because it just was, like... 
he's at his end. He's an old guy. Why not? Yeah, but there would have been, but because he's such a minor character in the entire MCU anyway, killing killing him wouldn't have had the type of ripple effect that you would need it to have. So it would be a bit gratuitous to me, you know. I mean, his the the, the toughest thing about the about the Henry Pym character in the MCU, not the comic book, obviously, is that Tony Stark took away mm-hmm. all of his effectiveness. Yeah, because he's the major scientist. When in the comic book, Tony Stark is an industrialist, mm-hmm. but Hank Pym's the scientist. Mm-hmm. And so now, what does Michael Douglas do? What does the Hank Pym character do? You know, there's no X Men. He's not going to turn into the you know into the Beast, right? He's not going to be something else. Um, right. You know, he, he's not going to do. There's nothing else for him to do. And so. Um, or Yellow Jacket or wherever, because now Yellow Jacket's been taken as well. It was Darren in the in the original. So there's so where does where does Henry Pym go? And so um, you know, so I didn't I didn't think killing him would have done much of anything, but I do like the idea, Jake, of of having him be sacrificial to raise the stakes of what Janet had done. Yeah. I, I liked him though. And I and the reason why what I really liked about him is because Michael Douglas can act. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Michael Michael Douglas is an outstanding dad. You know, the, the, the way he can always condescend to Paul Rudd, who who always gets condescended to because he's so goofy. Right. Mm-hmm. And so his character, the, the relationship between between Michael Douglas and Paul Rudd is actually stronger than the relationship between Michael Douglas and his daughter. Yeah. And Evangeline Lilly and Michelle Pfeiffer combined. Yeah. Yeah, I think that they they have mm. their dynamic completely like chiseled down and I just, you still really don't know what the dynamics of with his other characters are. But I think you're absolutely right that his condescension is like one of his superpowers as an actor and this just gives him nothing. He can do nothing but condescend basically. <laughs> um and it really works. Now, as we're going through the characters, there's a little guy, uh he is uh he goes by Modoc. Little guy uh, with a big head. Yes. Uh, Anthony Mays, I'll let you start because you wanted to talk about him. All right. So I am aware of MODOK and I was aware he was going to be in this movie because I've been playing the little old game called Marvel Snap, which is a fun way to familiarize myself with lesser known characters. That's how I know who Cosmo the dog from Guardians 3 is going to be and all that. So MODOK comes in and... It's all good until his helmet comes up, man. Mm-hmm. Once I see that it's Corey Stoll's artificially widened face, mm-hmm. that was extremely distracting. I'm fine with it being Darren. I liked that running joke. Darren? I love yeah. that. The Darth Vader-esque shot of him getting put into the suit with his butt showing. Okay, you got me there. That was funny, too. But every time his helmet came up and it was Corey Stoll's face, I couldn't help but think that it would have just been better as an animated joke. It doesn't work with the way that it looks, and it does. It certainly doesn't look real, which is no. the only reason I can see for them trying to put a real person in there. And it was distracting. And like, okay, he thinks he's good by the end. Fine. He wants to be an Avenger. Cool. Whatever. You're dying. <laughs> Goodbye, Corey Stoll. I hope you never come back. I, I, my counterpoint is 
He was designed only for killing, so he doesn't have to look up. I'm kidding. Um, I thought a lot of the jokes were funny. I thought that um, the look of it obviously was distracting. I'm not going to pretend it wasn't. But it was more distracting was the people sitting right behind me in the IMAX who said literally every single time they showed his face, oh my god, he's so ugly. I'm like, yeah, we got it. We got it the first time that that happened. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Howard, you got something on Modoc? Yeah, I, I did. And, and I was watching it. Now, obviously, I... When I watch these movies, I don't do a lot of homework first. Mm-hmm. So I just try to watch the movie the movie as it's presented. Um, I feel like, you know, ages five through however long is my preparation for a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as soon as I saw that head, I said, that looks like MODOK. And my son was like, duh. I was like, because he was like, he had already read up on it. I was like, oh, I didn't know he was in the movie, dummy. Okay, that is MODOK. Um, <laughs> I thought the running joke, Darren, I thought that was, I, I thought it was true to the Ant-Man feel for what the movie, yeah. you know, when it tried to create sort of the Ant-Man feel. But I thought that it was distracting. I, it took me back to the fact that, um, that when you look at the history of Marvel Comics, you know, pretty much every villain belongs to Spider-Man. Nobody else really has good villains with the exception of maybe Loki and Magneto, right? Yeah. If you think of every other comic book, Captain America doesn't have a great villain. He's got the Red Skull, but who cares about the Red yeah. Skull, right? Who is Iron Man's greatest villain? It's the Mandarin. I mean, actually, Madame Mask is probably the best villain, and she's not in any of the MCU movies. Uh, and it's it's MODOK, yeah. and it's and it's the Mandarin, right? So when you start thinking about oh, who is Ant-Man's greatest villain, in, in the Avengers, it's 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 Ultron. But seeing, seeing MODOK... And then seeing Modoc, you know, essentially as one, the killing machine he's supposed to be, and then two, the killing machine who's turned into comic relief, undermine the power of Kang. This is your master assassin? Like, this is your guy? (laughs) You know, and I was like, okay, nobody really knows what they want this to be. Yeah, they gave Kang a slapdick henchman. (laughs) Exactly. And not only that, but dude, you're... Your sort of, you know, computerized versions of your stormtroopers, they're worse than the stormtroopers. Can yeah. any, they, they can't detain an 18 year old girl without having her like break free and beat them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I, I also thought they were pretty uninspired in terms of the design. Um, yeah. They don't really look like anything um, and, and nothing specific to Kang, which is kind of disappointing. Um, but we finally, we talked a lot about him. But let's have a full, long conversation about the man of the hour. Jonathan Majors is Kang. We've been look, waiting for him forever. Um, AC, I feel like you've been awaiting Kang. Like, it's true. It's like, number one, oh, you're waiting the birth of your next child. Number two, Kang. Like, that's what you've been awaiting. Yeah. <laughs> and so talk to me a little bit about the first major appearance of Kang as Kang. Uh, for firstly, let me tell you, I'm very glad to see this movie before miles shows up so very very excited that i was able to see this today but yes uh, this has been something that we've been waiting for for a while and i know specifically me anybody who's listened to this show i've been going on and on about it since basically avengers endgame so i think just seeing majors in this and this is almost it's one of those things that's so weird because when he's in this film And you kind of see him with, you know, with everybody else. It almost feels like they don't belong. 
They don't belong with him. He's on another plane. He exists as something different, which it almost makes me wonder in terms of building your heroes for Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, If assuming that the direction they go in is Kang is the main guy here. You have you have Anthony Mackie as Captain America. You have you have uh, Letitia Wright as the Black Panther. You have a lot of these different you know heroes who are I wouldn't call like necessarily the you know the the greatest of great actors in the world against this guy, and you could see why they want to build around him, and the post credit scene kind of shows you why and. Feige even said it at the, the the red carpet. He was like, uh, we saw Last Black Man in San Francisco and we said we have to get this guy. So you see it there because He Who Remains and Kang, two completely different people. And I don't even recognize anything, no similar personality whatsoever, no, no traits or anything like that. And I know some people were like, why didn't Kang crack any jokes? Kang doesn't crack jokes. He's about he's about his business. This is a tortured character who will fight Avengers, who has kill, killed Avengers in the past, but really the fight is with himself. So clearly the story about the council, you know, exiling him there is something to watch going forward as we'll get to that plot point a little later, but just in terms of performance uh, Majors was sublime. I think of the 06 Kobe season, mm-hmm. <laughs> 35 points a game with Smush Parker. Uh, I think of the 09 D- Dwayne Wade season, where I think they were like a five seed with like 42 wins or something like that. This was, this was Majors. Majors was in was in his element. He was awesome, and you, you can't help but be excited where it seem it seemingly feels like he's gonna start popping up in almost most of the projects seems like they have an idea of where to put him in and fit him in and other stuff. I think the Kang story overall, mm-hmm. they have a lot of potential. And I think that they will probably tell that story well, because at least to this point, they have an idea of how to map it out. Mm-hmm. But I will say this, he's so good that I don't know if these other folks, these heroes are going to be able to make it compelling on their side to match up to him. Can I ask and a very important what, question, though? If yes. this was Kobe Bryant's 06 season, who is Sasha Vujicic? <laughs> oh, are we so. talking about the, the, the goop guy? The goop guy? Yeah. The, uh, the, the guy serving the, serving the goop? Yeah. So, no. Um, I think that's a fair concern. But I will say before I toss it to the people, I'm very much putting that in the cross the bridge when we get to a category. Because um, yes. I would rather them just try to make Kang as good as possible and... <clears throat> Then you know I don't want him them to try to water him down so he doesn't blow people off the screen. Um, but you know uh, Howard, you talked about how you know we you expect this to be the big Kang vehicle and kind of separated from the plot, which we've discussed and the problems with it. And we'll talk a little bit more. How do you feel like Kang was in this movie? I thought he was electric, and I thought he was. I thought the 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 thing that you like most. And once again, I'm an old guy. And when you're an old guy, you go back to Avengers number eight when Kang makes his first appearance. And you go back to, you know, even when I had it was Marvel Super Action 16 and 17. When you go and you see the backstory of what we're getting, it has always been my thought watching this, that you are going to go from Kang 
to Ramatut to Scarlet Centurion to all of the different iterations of Kang throughout throughout time. Eventually, you are going to run into Doctor Doom, and eventually, you are going to run into Galactus. This is where it all ends, right? This is what happens with Kirby Marvel. Like we talk about Ditko Marvel, and then you talk about Kirby Marvel, and we've had this conversation in the past. If yeah. you are going to take Kirby Marvel all the way to its extension, to its end, you end with the Watcher, and you end with Galactus. Right, and so somewhere along the line, you need a character who is going to be able to act his ass off mm -hmm. because of all of the different iterations of Kang. Mm -hmm. And so, the beauty of Jonathan Majors is you've got that guy, yeah, yes, right? Now, you've got that guy, you don't have to worry about whether or not your super villain can hang on screen. So I just thought, I thought he was great. And I thought what I really, really liked about him was he wasn't what you saw in Loki because he is a multiple personality character because he spans time. You're going to get all of the different Kangs yes. from Victor Timely to Ramatut to Scarlet Centurion. You're going to get all of them, hopefully. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're going to get a different Jonathan Majors acting vehicle in each of them. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you need a heavyweight for that for that character. Um, I thought that in looking at him in terms of how serious he was going to take the role, it is very clear. And you could see it in Last Black Man in San Francisco. You could see it in The Heart of They Fall. You could see it in Lovecraft. You can see that he's got the chops to do it. Yeah. And you could also see the gap between how chilling this character was, mm -hmm. which made, which is why it made no sense that he got, he got knocked no. around at the end yeah, of the yeah. movie. Mm -hmm. You know, he was so sure of himself and so in control up until the mm -hmm. ending, just as in control as he was at the end of Loki while playing two different characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in other words, he is completely, for example, when Michelle Pfeiffer, when, when Janet says to him, you know, you know, what are you afraid of? What's coming? And he goes, me, mm -hmm. right? I mean, okay, you can just take all my money right now. Yeah. Yep. So that to me was the most exciting piece of it. And just to see what he does and what he becomes. The other piece that I really did like about it, and so one weird thing about Kang, the character that is important to remember, mm -hmm. is that he is just a man. Yeah. yeah. And if if you take his tech from him, you can beat him up. Yeah, he's yep. just a dude, and so that was one of the things that I didn't think got developed as much as much in this movie. But if you read Kang throughout all the comic books, one of the things, you know, his sort of tragic flaw, the, the you know the one shot of the you know the twin torpedoes to blow up the Death Star, right? When it comes to Kang, is when you separate him from his technology, he does get thwarted, he does get angry, he does get yeah. you know he does get defeated, and suddenly. He ain't that tough after all. Yeah. So I thought I thought there was an element of that that gave you in watching the movie and, and understanding that he's not he's the ant in, in some ways he's the anti Thanos where it was like yep. Thanos always had an answer for everything and you had to use magic to make Thanos yeah. human or to make him to make him vulnerable whereas this character is actually naturally vulnerable. Yeah. Um, and Anthony, I'm going to pass it to you because I know that Howard just used a phrase that you love. Said that Jonathan Majors acted his ass off. Um, I assume you felt the same yeah. way. I mean, it's without a doubt. It's not even close. I want to ask real quick before I get too deep into this. 
Howard NAC with all your comics lore at the end there we see Ramatut, we see Amortis. both of those are for sure but i've heard yes. many different thoughts on who the third kang variant is so i wanted to pick both of your brains on that well i'm hoping it's scarlet centurion uh, i'm hoping I'm at hoping some point we see i'm hoping the same uh personally uh, I know and I have a feeling that we will see an Iron Lad at some point. I don't think that's him. I think they may even cast somebody younger to play Iron Lad, a younger version of Kang. Um, I could see that. I think another thing to just point it out, they show it in the post credit as they're, you know, zooming on zooming out on all the Kangs and stuff like that. There's a there's a Kang person in a in a suit. I think that's Mr. Griffon, who's uh who's a businessman who buys, I think, the Stark Tower at one point in the books. So I could see that dude actually being in the main timeline MCU. Because um, remember, the Stark Tower was sold uh, at, at some point uh, in Spider-Man Homecoming, and we never found out who bought it. So just throwing, just keeping that out there. But as far as the Scarlet Centurion point, yeah, I really hope that, that that's the dude or unless they decide to do another updated version and we actually get to see him in red. Yeah, that yeah. was the thing was people were upset that they changed his costume. And considering how accurately they used the original Kang costume, which was yeah. kind of surprising at one point when he's flipping out and zapping people, he's got the, the blue face mask and everything. So it would be surprising to see them take a big leap like that. But can we stop you for one second, Maze, right there? Wasn't that the most delicious part of the film was when Kang just started killing the the rebels? Where well, like, yeah. oh. <laughs> yes. You get a guy who can be a thespian and talk his way across stage alas poor Yorick, but then he can also flip out and scream and yeah. bash people and vaporize people. And as I was telling AC, I'm going to have to go see Creed three because of Jonathan yeah. majors. I don't want yeah. to, but I have to just because I want to see him fight Michael B. Jordan. Mm -hmm. And the, the real joy of this movie was trying to, trying to wrap your head around what motivates this dude, what this dude is mm -hmm. thinking about the part of, speech that really stuck out to me was him talking about time and once you emerge from the cage of time you see mm -hmm. how limiting it is and once you have the ability to travel time you of course skip right to the end as anybody would and you see mm -hmm. how it all ends so seeing this very powerful very smart man unburdened by a constraint that not I mean, has any like Loki, I guess, is the only one really experiencing what that's like right now mm -hmm. once he yeah. goes to the TVA. And I think that's really smart that they found a way to get a character into that perception of it. And also, you know, with the, the Victor Timely. <laughs> yeah, that was like, great. Uh, part at the end with the Frederick Douglass wig. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> even more for Loki season two than I was because I wasn't sure if they were going to go back to Kang, but now it's obvious that they are. Yeah. So. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the other piece of this that he doesn't allude to directly, but it seems like the way that he talks about and he emotes kind of this tortured soul to a degree is we have not gotten the Ravona Renslayer piece of this yet mm -hmm. with 
their yeah. relationship and what's going to happen there. Goo goo. Yeah. AC, to your point, when you were talking earlier about needing to see it physically, I think when you saw Kang go out and just start picking off, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah. the rebellion, that was, you know, that was the Darth Vader at the end of Rogue One, where it's like, yeah. here's yes. what I can do. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and yeah. I'm, cooking, I'm, I'm cooking. the real deal. And the thing I liked about that was that and I think Howard, you're absolutely right with the way that it separates him from Thanos, is that he did that obviously to protect himself, but he did it because he was angry. Like he was yeah. mad that they would dare try him. And I think that that always makes for a scarier villain, in my opinion, because like with Thanos, there are things you could do to kind of take yourself out of his way. Is if he, he has a very clear code of ethics that he, even though they're crazy, he believes them, and you can you know. With Kang, he is single-mindedly single-minded about one thing, and there's no negotiating with it. And if you try to negotiate with him, he'll be angry at you and he'll kill you. And so, like, I think that that is really compelling, and I think it's really hard. I think it's a lot of times hard also for actors to play vicious anger and not look a little silly. And the fact that you never thought that with Jonathan Majors, that he was, you felt I was scared of what he was going to do um, whenever he was angry. I thought it just made me really excited for what he can do. I think he's definitely one of the best actors working in his generation by a long margin. Um, and yeah. And I it think- came out of nowhere. Like three years yeah. ago, no one knew who this dude was. He yeah. was in a low budget movie from San Francisco by a yeah. dude who went to school of the arts. Yeah. And I'll say the other thing, Jake, where I, I do take slight issue with what you were saying to AC's point about crossing that bridge when we come to it. I don't think so. I, I, I think that it's going to be a real challenge for the MCU and for what they do to make sure they don't get blown off the screen. Because I think that one, the, if there is one thing so far that has been a constant in the post-endgame run of, mm-hmm. of content so far has been, somebody better give me a fucking star. Yeah, I need a star. I, mm-hmm. you know, and I need a star somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if I don't get a star, I'm not that big into watching this. You yeah. can do, yeah. you know, you can try, you know, with the, you know, the Eternals flopped and they had big names but no stars. You know, I didn't. I was, you know, Chang Chi was okay. Chang Chi was all right. Um, you know, you better give me somebody. There's who one can guy. Hang. There's one guy right now, and that's uh, Mr. Holland. And that's Tom Holland. He's the yeah. only yeah. one. And and so and you you might be able you know to throw I might throw, you know Cumberbatch in there. I'll throw yeah. I'll throw yeah. I'll throw Elizabeth Olsen in there. I'll yeah. throw those two in there as well in terms of being able. But you got to hold up your end, and it's one of the things, one of the reasons why you know I didn't come on for it. But one of the reasons why Wakanda Forever was so disappointing was that. The suspension of disbelief is too great. I'm sorry, Letitia Wright's not a star. I don't want, I'm not watching you. Um, I just didn't, I, I'm not buying what you're asking me. And in these two movies, you're asking me to believe in Cassie Lang. Mm-hmm. You're asking me to believe in in Letitia Wright. When Okoye is right there, like you actually have a fighter here mm-hmm. and you want me to believe in this. So the more, the longer this goes, the real question to me is going to be, can a movie survive? Can a, can a franchise, I'm not going to say survive because they made $118 million. Yeah. But what I'm going to say is, can they keep my attention? Yeah. Which is, I know, is extremely important mm-hmm. to everybody over there. Of course. Um, you know, can, you, can, can you keep my attention when you are, when, when you are um, 
committed to this formula mm-hmm. that main that does not hold right now. Like yeah. one of the things that I always do, I make a list of of movies where or scenes where you have two great actors mm-hmm. who go toe to toe in scenes. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch, you know, watch City Party and Rod Steiger in the Heat of the Night, toe to toe. You know, it's a standstill in terms of that. You know the, that type of of acting, and I and I think that you know that's the 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 better lucky than good piece where you had several actors mm-hmm. in in the pre Endgame, you know MCU that could do that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, big shoes to fill following Chadwick Boseman, but once again, somewhere along the line, if Jonathan Majors is going to be running the show, somebody's got to match him. Yeah, I think a person yeah. who I think could. At some point, if they give him more to do, I think that Tena Huerta as Namor has the gravitas to. I, he just has yeah. not been at the center of the frame enough for me to know whether or not he has the charisma. But in terms of someone who I can imagine having the seriousness and like, presence, that is the first person that came to mind. But I, yeah. I, I, and I, I think what I was trying to say with the cross bridge get to it is not so much that I don't think it's going to be a problem. I was just saying that it is a problem that is going to be ever present for the next few years. And I didn't want to talk about it for 20 minutes now because yeah. it's going to be, and I'm not saying that there was necessarily an issue. I'm just, you know, I think that it is a, a problem that is going only to be solved in each project. We'll have a better idea, but I think it is something that they need to be aware of. And I think mm-hmm. that they need to make some changes. I would rather them rejigger who the important characters are in order to put the people who are the biggest stars like, that's like, I don't care about, I think a lot of people who are big fans of the comics care a lot about, like, what the, this person wasn't really an Avenger, this, but, no, whoever the biggest stars are, they are the most important characters going forward, I would like, you know? And I think you're right with uh, Letitia Wright and, and Denai Guerrera, that, like, I actually don't care that much whether or not, technically speaking, Letitia Wright's character, was supp- Shuri, was supposed to be the next Black Panther, if you feel like Denai Guerrera is a better action star then she should get more of the moments now I I think that that is the thing I hope they start doing because the comic accuracy only matters so much if you were trying to make mass entertainment with movie stars um, yeah yeah I think that they have a a path to solve this which is just more Jonathan Majors though I think <laughs> it'll be pretty easy for them to find a way to put Jonathan Majors as Kang and let's say Spider-Man or Doctor Strange versus Jonathan Majors as Amortis with that is Scarlet a good Witch. Cheat. That is a good cheat, actually. I don't yeah, know if you do that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of possibilities. Obviously, we see all the scene, the scene with all the Kangs. Made everyone excited. Um, and I'm, ex- I'm excited to see where they go with this. I think that the, the choice, which I think is interesting, and I'm curious how it pays off, is that like the Kang that they fight in this movie is actually like not ideologically aligned with the other Kangs. Um, like he was the exile. Well, they usually never are. None of yeah. them are actually. They they all are trying to get over on one another, even yeah. with the idea of a council existing. The each each other's goal is singular and trying to be the person that conquers. And then each time they go to a different time, like like then another divergent timeline will happen, creating another one, hence the Victor Timely and obviously Rama Tut and, and everything we see there. So I think just from that story standpoint, I do want to mention in that post credit scene, uh, it was interesting that the way that all of the Kang showed up to the council, 
was the same way that Reed Richards and Multiverse of Madness showed up too. So just the technology is similar there. So again, we always, we always, uh, the, the name of Kang is actually Nathaniel Richards. So you, mm -hmm. then you start to wonder, is this a descendant? Like, what are they going to do with that? We don't know who's been cast as the Fantastic Four as of yet. So we'll see what, how they decide to play that. But just just curious, just generally mm -hmm. curious how, how they decide to do that. So that was interesting. To yes. Me. Um, and is there anything else anyone would like to add? Any stray observations? This movie was jam-packed with stuff in terms of specific details. There's obviously characters we didn't talk about. Quads. Oh, I definitely got one. Oh, AC, go. I have a I have a pet peeve about the MCU that had, that this movie now officially got me annoyed. So when in Infinity War, when when Tony Stark takes off the glasses and starts the nanotech with the mm -hmm. with the armor, I was like, oh, this is a cool trick, and that's cool. Like for a while, like with the with the helmet come off, it's mm -hmm. an easy fix, so the guys don't have to wear the mask and CGI mm -hmm. and stuff. Now you're gonna have to tell me that if I am a superhero fighting, and I'm fighting in a place where they're shooting lasers and they're explosions and stuff like that, I'm going to keep taking off my helmet every single time, regardless of whether things are exploding around me. Like, after a certain point, it's, all right, guys, we got to do something with that because it just looks weird. It looks weird when you have that in the middle of um, huge fights in some ways that are life and death that every single time that the, the fight stops for a second, the helmets come off. It's just a small pet peeve that's become a larger one over time. And I think that it's endemic of just the push and pull of trying to make accurate things in movies that have movie stars in them. Because the, the I guarantee you the thinking is that someone upstairs is saying, we paid all this money to get Paul Rudd in this movie. You're not going to cover up his face half the time. And that makes sense from their perspective. Mm -hmm. But I think I agree with you. It takes you out of it, especially because it's all CGI. It looks more funny yeah. than anything. Um, like at least when like in, you know, the original Spider-Man movies, they always would make a point of trying to rip the mask so you can see Tobey Maguire. But that was a tactile thing. It felt essential to the character. Whereas mm -hmm. this, it's kind of like, I know someone's just pressing a couple buttons on a computer. It, it feels very arbitrary. I wanted to talk about the Rick and Mortyification of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because we've got yeah, Jeff go Loveness writing this one. We've got Michael Waldron who came up with Loki and wrote Multiverse of Madness. And I understand that it's a snake eating its own tail situation where a lot of Rick and Morty is inspired by comics and that the Council of Ricks from... Rick and Morty is based on the Council of Kings, so it makes sense that you go to the guys that did that. But this one felt significantly Rick and Morty-er, and I think that's because they tried to keep the Ant-Man level of goofiness. So the whole thing with Veb and the ooze, and I want to have a hole, and he finally gets a hole, and then he absorbs people and stuff. Which was like, so all of that dumb. About, and, that's, and that's Rick and Morty, and that would work a lot better in Rick and Morty than it did here, mm -hmm. where it's supposed to be somewhat credible i guess that we're in mm -hmm. the quantum realm in in a cartoon and it's kind of like the modok thing the modok thing felt very rick and morty where it's like how many jokes can we get per minute it's only a 15 minute show and they did that in small segments in this movie and so mm -hmm. while i like rick and morty while i like those guys while i understand the the natural connections it is kind of crazy to think that 
Rick and Morty is shaping the future of the big overall picture here. Yeah, I think it's notable to mention that now that you say that, that Loveness is writing Kang Dynasty and Michael Waldron is writing Secret Wars. So this is yeah. continuing. Yeah. Well, it's like they, they handed the keys over to these guys. Yeah. These yeah. are the guys. I mean, yeah. they hand over the keys over as much as anyone does in Marvel, but yes. Right. With with Kevin Feige standing over their shoulder. Yeah. Observing carefully. Well, and I would go one step farther on the Kevin Feige piece of this is is that as you always have to continue to prove yourself, the post endgame MCU right now is about a C minus to me. Yeah. It's a C. Mm-hmm. It's not great. Yeah. You know, and maybe where else are you going to go after that? But, you know, the choice of rolling out so much volume mm-hmm. and then to sort of have this, the results be what they are is, is a little telling. The one, the one thing for me that I, that I thought was interesting was that we've been doing this now. Uh, it's 8.58 PM. We've been on for about an hour and 20 minutes mm-hmm. and barely spoke of the rebellion of yeah, the characters yeah. of that piece of it yeah. which tells me how useless it really was yeah how it just yep. didn't there was no space for it um but it did feel you know very much it had a really star warsian feel to it mm-hmm. um where it was like it was like where are the ewoks mm-hmm. and and i just th- that piece of it from a storytelling standpoint stuck out to me yeah hmm. it just was there's just i think you're right saying there wasn't the room for it because like while i think the mcu can do a lot of different genres and the idea of the pitch of generally ant-man has a star wars-esque adventure in the quantum realm is not something that i think is i think that's a fine pitch i think that doesn't when you tr- also need to introduce kang there's just not the space for that the, you could do a right. whole movie you could the idea of the quantum realm being like outer space in star wars is actually i think a good idea but well, it's a very Ragnarokian look. Exactly. But it's like, yeah. it, 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 the Star Wars takes a lot of time to set itself up. And if you need to spend about 50 minutes of this movie with Kang, the, I just don't know where you don't have the time to really, I, the, the rules of the quantum realm, they yada yada, they yada yada how it all works. And I think that part of that was just for storytelling efficiency. But I kind of was disappointed by that because it's like, what is what what is the point of this place how did beings get here what and i think all these questions are interesting they both have interesting answers and they also i think inform what's going on and the fact that the characters that exist in the quantum realm and the environments of the quantum realm feel completely disconnected from the fact that they are subatomic it just was like then what's the point why set this in the quantum realm if it's going to be like any other cgi gloop well i think that goes to the my point of it just being kind of straightforward and simplified yeah. it's like yeah. when you have such an advanced concept but you're trying to sell it to teens and kids you can't you can't fully explore all the possibilities yeah. of the quantum realm because you'd spend the whole movie doing that yeah right um, yeah. I, I just wish that there was some i agree with that completely i wish that there was just some relation between what was going on in the quantum realm and the fact that it is subatomic that um because I think that that's the way that you differentiate it from space, that you differentiate it from all the other realms that exist. You wanted um, yeah, even all, more all, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids energy. I get sure, it. yes. Well, and, and, and also one of the 
if there is a characteristic of the quantum realm that we have been told exists over and over again, it's that the longer you're there and the deeper you go into it, the more it pulls you apart and drives you insane. Yeah. But that wasn't part of this movie at all. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I just, I just need there to be some rules. They don't have to be rules that are actually related to actual physics. They don't have to be rules that are super complicated. I just wish that there was like, what is the deal with the quantum realm that it makes it different than the other things? Um, but as Howard mentioned, we've been going for over an hour and 20 minutes. I feel like this is a good time to wrap it up because Lord knows there are going to be a lot of thoughts about this movie. Yes. Um, and there's not going to be Jake, I, I do... Oh, of course. Uh, Jake, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, but I do have one uh, big picture thought. And Howard mentioned it. Uh, talking about Kevin Feige and the post-Endgame thing. So the article came out the other day from Entertainment Weekly that they're going to start slowing things down in terms of the shows and 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 not necessarily the movies per se, but the shows, maybe just do two a year uh, at this point. I do think after what happened in 2021 and 2022, where they just threw everything at us, I think it was like, I think we've gotten eight films in the past two years, which is just like, that's a lot of movies. That's a lot of movies on its own. And that, not even including the shows. So it, when you think about that in the, just the sheer volume, I think it's hard and it's, it's hard on its own as somebody who is who's not like really into it per se and is kind of like a casual and you're saying like do i they have the thought in their mind i always have to do this type of homework with stuff but but um i was joking with howard the other day when i when i told him like the way the way feige and to a degree uh, uh chapik in terms of like rushing to get these projects out in 2021 and 22 reminds me of of the wire where Stringer Bell tells D'Angelo, like, it doesn't matter what the product is, it's going to sell. So we're going to just get it out. We're just going to get it out, get it out regardless. And what I hope here is with this delay and them being a little bit more responsible in how I think Bob Iger said, um, in curating their content, hopefully that will correct some things and we don't have some of the stuff that I feel like we got rushed in certain elements in these yeah, films the, over the last couple the of years. Pressure. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think and I think a lot of it honestly is just you talk about the um Stringer Bell quote about it doesn't matter what it is, it'll sell. I think that the stuff did sell. The difference is that they learned uh the lesson that I have been streaming about for five years now that the money that you make off of streaming is not worth it. <laughs> I think it's, I think that honestly is it more than anything. I think the fact that the, the amount of money you put into being a streaming service just simply does not pay you back out on the back end as much as they think it does. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, I mean, I think that that's why Bob Iger's back in charge because uh, they, <coughs> yeah, and it's bigger than just Disney. It's like yeah. the entire industry is figuring yes. that out. Yeah. Uh, well, that's right. And also when you, and when you've decided that you're going to lay off 7,000 people, yeah. um, the slowdown. I mean, look at what's happening across the industry. Look at what's happening, whether it's Facebook, Google, Apple. When you look at what's happening at Disney, look at also what's happening with the with the you know Time Warner Discovery merger, having to cut three, four billion. Five, you know, Disney's cutting five billion dollars out of the budget over the next couple of years. Um, the real life consequences can be felt. Yeah. In this, and I, I'm and I'm not really sure it's an editorial no. a, a choice for. Um, to promote editorial um, improvements, it's that 
the money is making the decision. Yeah, and specifically because they said that they're basically going to keep the amount of movies the same, three a year or four sometimes, because the movies make money because, and this is a crazy idea, guys, but charging money at the point of use is actually a better business model than just charging a subscription fee. Who could have guessed that that has, I don't know, maybe it's the way we've been doing it for hundreds of years. Who who could have guessed? But, um, yeah, yeah, I think that it's pretty clear. And, I, and, it, and on I, that I, note, yeah. subscribe to the MCU yeah, University, MCU University Patreon. Patreon. Or, no, or if you believe in buying, then order some merch. That's or pay Jake for one episode at a time. Yeah, Venmo me. No, but yes, I think that it is interesting and we'll see how that goes. I hope that what yes. they do in this is I hope that they have, especially in the TV shows, have some of the characters we've already been introduced to show up and have some appearances just because I don't want there to be a case where since we cut back on stuff, we'll, we'll go like five years without seeing a character that is supposed to then become important again. I want them all to be kind of in the mix, but that's a thing we could talk about in the future. Um, yes. yes. The biggest question has always been, how much homework do I have to do to understand what I'm about to watch? Exactly. Um, and I think that with this new strategy, I'm assuming that if it is just like two shows a year and three movies a year, that's obviously not nothing, but that's significantly less than what we've been getting the last past couple of years. But just to wrap it up, I want to thank our two guests, Anthony Mays and Howard Bryant for yep. coming on. Mays, where can people find you? Where can people hear you podcasting? At Corn Puzzle across platforms, and you can listen to the Cinephobe podcast where we ascertain blah, 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 Zach Harper, Mino Hassan, also Basketball Illuminati on Wednesdays. Keep your third eye open. And some rule of two. I'm around. And Howard Bryant, I know you, you always got stuff going. You always got things in the air. What's going on with you? Um, there are things in the air. Um, they'll stay in the air until they come down to earth. Um, but you can find me actually on the metal Arcus podcast, um, which runs whenever it runs. I think it's on Thursdays as part of the Dan Lebertard show. I think it may be in mystery crate. I don't know where it is, but you'll find it where it is. Um, and it's usually um, on the main feed. Yeah. It's on the main feed. That main feed bump for Howard. There you go. (laughs) And you can, um, you can find me on Instagram at Howard Bryant Books, and that's about it. Since I said goodbye to the little blue bird a few months ago, absolutely. And I Anthony, miss you guys, though. I will say I don't miss Twitter, but I miss you guys on Twitter. Well, <laughs> hey, you have the, you have our phone number. If you ever have any thoughts, feel free. I believe that there's still that group chat open. Uh, we're we're more yes. than happy to shoot it about the MCU and Anthony. Uh, it's unclear, but this might be uh, sorry AC. I mean, this might be your last appearance for a little bit. Tell people where they can find you. What's going on? Yes. Uh, so yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Anthony Canton underscore three, and I believe I'm I'm still poet AC nine five eight six on the IG. Uh, yeah, I will be taking my leave for a little bit from this show. Jake's gonna man the ship with plenty uh, plenty of guests over the next month or two as uh i have another kid coming and this kid is this kid is coming very shortly within the next Thanos week or so coming. so yeah yeah <laughs> yes that's it that's that is kind of how i feel as my as my cousin told me about a couple weeks ago he said one kid is one two is about 20 so <laughs> so so we'll uh so we'll we'll see how that we'll see how that goes but um i have no doubt in my mind that jake will handle things well yeah. Well, in my absence, my and first editorial decision is next yes. week we're doing an episode on Cocaine Bear. So, uh, you know, that perfect. Yeah, I mean the 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 movie event of the winter exactly. e- easily. 
by far. So, uh, so yeah, to anybody listening, you could still find me. Like, hit me up if anything. Uh, I, I'm always happy to to have discourse about Marvel things. But by the time the next Marvel projects come out in May, I should be back for that. We should be we're getting Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and I do believe that Secret Invasion will be in May or June. So that we'll 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 be able to talk about those things when I am back. But um, as always, appreciate everybody for listening and supporting the show. Yes, and if you like like the show, you can join our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash mcuniversitypod. We do two bonus episodes a month. We're going to be taking a little pause on the Fast and Furious movies while AC's away, but we got a lot of great ideas of things coming up. And there's the Discord, which, you know, you can find us. $3 gets you to the Discord and all of our episodes. We have a lot of them. We do the mailbag. And yeah, it's just a lot of exciting stuff going on over there. And you can follow me at the J Christie. Uh, I'm started doing another pod, another rewatch pod about the show Psych called Love at First Psych, which I was the same guy I did the Monk podcast with Andre Barrera. But more importantly, keep listening to this show, rate, review, subscribe, um, and give us feedback, man. We really like to hear from you, and uh, we want to hear what you thought about Quantumania. Obviously, there have been a lot of thoughts. There's been a lot of discourse, and we hope that this was a reasonable conversation that was not as annoying as the discourse on Twitter has been. But for Howard Bryant. For Anthony Mays, for Anthony Canton III, I'm Jay Christie. Have a good one.